and we are live good morning good morning good morning thank you good morning i'm so so excited to be here I'm so excited for you to be here. My name is Alana Whitaker. I am co-founder of Digital Green Book. This is a Web3 educational tech startup. And in my free time, I love interviewing amazing, dynamic individuals like Kanji, who we have here today, who is an angel investor. So today we're going to discuss angel investing, funding for founders and startups, and what some of the criteria are that this individual specifically looking for when she's looking to invest in various businesses, but also some of the challenges that occur when individuals are seeking funding for their new business ventures. So Kanji, thank you so much, so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to a good conversation. This is so awesome. So I would love to know specifically more about your story. We see the LinkedIn profile, but for those of us who aren't as, uh, savvy in the the nomenclature. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do specifically? Yeah, sure. Um, Let's see. Well, right now I run an accelerator for startups. We focus specifically on business to business cloud companies. So technology companies that focus on large enterprises versus consumer. Um, I do that for SAP, which is a really big enterprise software company. We have about uh, 100,000 employees, 450,000 customers, about 30 billion euro in annual revenue. Um, and the competitors are like and, and Oracle, IBM, Microsoft, and then verticals you might recognize companies like Workday and Salesforce, just to give you a sense of the enterprise software space. Um, so it's, it's a really fun job. One of the charters that we have at the Accelerator that I run, and by the way, I, I just lead North, Latin America, and the Caribbean, but the Accelerator is, is global. Um, but we are so proud that we um, try to prioritize founders that are um, underrepresented. So women, people of color, et cetera. Um, but in terms of um, my journey to get there, it's been pretty meandering. I mean, I've been in enterprise software essentially my whole career. I had a small break in the middle with business school, but then came back to a different company um, and been in different roles, corporate strategy, corporate development, et cetera. But I, got interested in startups about six years ago or so. Um, I was in a business development role for SAP where the person I was working for wanted to look for a company to acquire. So he wanted SAP to buy another company. And he asked me to do what's called a market scan where you go out and just see like who we should buy. And um, so by definition, I was talking to companies that were smaller than SAP, more agile, innovative, and really excited. And that's a very different field than how SAP is. And so I really enjoyed it. And I thought, you know, I want to see how I can work with these small scale-ups, you know, uh, as my day-to-day job. So I thought that that's probably what like a venture capitalist is. You get to work with people like that all the time. But I didn't know exactly if my professional background was the right one for that type of um, career. And also didn't know like what it actually really means to be a venture capitalist. So I got some good advice from a friend and and said, you know, you should just be really active in the New York entrepreneurial ecosystem. So I started just Googling like investor events, VC event, and I started going to pitch competitions and demo days and whatever I could find on Eventbrite. Um, And then after a while, I started getting invited to closed events using my SAP business card. I, I think because I was doing business development, they thought I was doing 
some some real things there, but really I was just going to understand, you know, the space. Um, so I did that for a while, two years or so. And I think um, from doing that, I came away with some takeaways. Uh, hmm. One was a lot of the start. Well, first of all, I would say when I was in the when I was in the ecosystem, I was looking to understand what are startups innovating on. I didn't fully understand like what kind of problems were emerging that startups were looking to attack. And then also, I didn't. I wanted to see the kind of questions that investors were asking startups to see if VC, in, in fact, would be interesting for me. So after a couple of years of doing that, I noticed that a lot of the startups were focusing on fintech and cryptocurrency, especially in the closed events. And the founders were male, white, and Asian mainly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so I was just naive to that. I was super green. And one, I thought, okay, fintech and cryptocurrency are very important, but aren't there other things that should be solved in the world? And then also, and I'm sure like you, I have a very diverse network of friends doing amazing things. I never once saw any of my friends at any of these events. And, I, you know, so after doing research, I realized, which is probably not as surprised this audience, that it's just um, a lot more difficult for some demographics to have access to capital, but even access to events to meet people that have the capital. Yeah. So that was a long way of saying kind of what, what kind of pulled me into this, interested in this space. And so I started to say, okay, how can I as an individual contribute to access opportunity and access to capital? And so I started to look into angel investing on the side, outside of work, um, which we can talk about more. I started scouting for a VC and all for the purpose of being very um, intentional about making sure that I'm looking for founders that look like me, look like us, that, that are sort of overlooked. And then on the other side, SAP around the same time started a group called SAPIO, which was a fund and an accelerator. And it was started by my boss two roles prior who I knew, and he knew I was very VC curious um, and said, <laughs> he said, you can, you should, you know, mentor some of our startups. You can help us select some of them just to sort of get in this, you know, understand the space. And then he hired a head of North America who I became friendly with. We would actually start to go to events together. Um, you said um, he hired a head of North America for that oh, same team gotcha. in New York. I mean, we became, became buds. Um, gotcha. And then she, last year she called me and just said, I'm leaving SAP to do my own thing. And I think you should replace me. And it was just a shock. And so that's how I have my role today, running the Accelerator in North and Latin America. Um, and just such an honor. It's been a lot of fun. I think that's an amazing journey in and of itself. And I think there's, I can think of three or four people off the top of my head that are where you were before you found the opportunity to step into a role like that. Cause they ask those questions. They're like, I want to help more. I know we're overlooked. I know there's not enough events for us. So I think you asked some phenomenal questions. So backing up to that briefly, um, that was sort of how I found out about this space as well. Um, mm -hmm. I began to attend pitch competitions I began searching for pitch competitions, attending demo days. And that's how I wound up in my first accelerator, which I just started last night. Um, so for those of you watching, that's a tip. Um, if you had the pleasure of watching my interview with Ariana Edwards last uh, two days ago, we talked about four different accelerators you could look at joining now to help cultivate your business and position it to be in a place to receive capital or startup funds or even just recognition, business guidance, or even other resources. So mm -hmm. it's so interesting to hear you echo that and parrot that and cover that again today. Like 
one of the the best ways I think to start building out that network is to get in the room with the people who are interested in helping. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of different uh, black owned pitch mm -hmm. competitions coming up. If you do search on Eventbrite, I know Black Girl Ventures has a whole uh, tour coming up. Mm -hmm. And a few of those will overlap around Afrotech. There'll be some different pitch competitions down in Miami. Um, and then I see that there's a few online. So uh, the tip that Ariana gave that I'm going to echo again is set up a Google alert. If you're not sure what a Google alert is, Google Google alert. <laughs> <laughs> and set up a Google alert for pitch competitions, demo days, and founder-based founder, founder -based events. Yes. Minimally. That at least get you in the room with people who are looking to help and start giving you resources. But getting right. that, and I, I will just also add to that is yes, like I said, that's exactly how I started. I just was going to everything, but after a while, you'll start to see that some events are better than others, and so you know, make sure you go to things that apply to whatever your outcome is. But at the beginning, it's true, just big funnel, show your face, and try to try to get out there. Hmm. So the other thing I would like to ask you sort of leading into that is now that you're, you've been in this role now, both in a large corporate capacity and then as a private capacity as well, what are some things that you would like to see from the founder community that you're not currently seeing or either you're seeing it but not enough that would make it a more robust experience for you as an angel investor to get involved in their companies? Like what's missing? What's the missing link? Um, I don't know. Interesting question. I, I mean, I'm probably biased towards founders, right? I, I, I think a lot of the reasons why things are broken are not the founders' fault. So I'm, I'm overall thinking we're doing the right things. But I, I will say that, you know, I'm so grateful that I do some angel investing and I have the corporate side, like you said. But there's, I can't do everything, and so a lot of times when people reach out to me, my role is just facilitating introductions. And I think I'm usually the most frustrated with founders in the context of introducing them to other people. So first of all, if I say to you, can you send me affordable blurb that I can send to my network? I get so frustrated when I get something back in first person because you're asking me to conjugate your own blurb for you. That's very annoying. Like when I say affordable, I literally mean I want to afford it, right? And so make me look good, make it look succinct, and, and make sure that you're doing what you need to do to, to sell yourself, right? Or sometimes it won't be in first person, but I look at it, I'm like, I know what you do. You're way more awesome than this blurb. Like, just, you should understand how to sell yourself because then I can sell you better. So that's one. The second thing is the venture capital and angel community is very small, especially people of color, and we all kind of know each other. And so um, I, I never want to alienate my network. And so... If I say, hey, I can introduce you to these three VCs that are specifically focused on what you're doing, and then I send them an email and they write me back saying, oh, I already talked to this person, that also pisses me off, right? Mm -hmm. Let me know who you're already talking to. I don't want to be redundant. I don't want it to seem like I'm not doing due diligence before reaching out. It's fine if you say, I reached out to the person, they haven't responded, can you help? And that's good, then I know that and I can tailor my, my reach out, but don't use me as a way to spam my own network because in the end it makes me look bad and I'm not going to want to help you next time. That's a really good point. So not only having a nice concise write-up in a more neutral tone, 
more of the <laughs> less of the I do this, I do this, I do this, more of the this business does this mm-hmm. sort of format would definitely help. And then also, if you've already talked to someone, let her know because she's very willing to help. But so we don't repeat things or we're not redundant, be very specific in the type right. of help we need with the introductions. Uh, there's yeah. a question in the audience here Are companies that focus on education? harder to fund than companies that are more product oriented for angels and venture capitalists, in your opinion? Uh, usually it's it's not based on industry, it's based on buyer. So who's buying the product? So in general, if you're creating a product where the buyer is like a school system or higher ed, in general, those types of buyers have a very long sales cycle um, because they have, uh, especially like in, in, a pub, in a charter school, for example, where they get a lot of donations, there's strict regulations on how those donation funds can be used. And so they have to go through a lot of processes to, to potentially like implement a new software or they have to you know, get approvals from different school boards, et cetera. And also they have limited budgets. And so no matter how good the product is, if we're talking about speed to revenue, by definition, that's gonna be longer versus if you come up with an app that you can just put on the app store today and, and buy it. I mean, the scale is not as big, but whatever. So it's not to say that it's harder per se, but usually you'd want to find an investor that's specifically focused on education that understands that it's going to be a longer road from to getting to revenue, but also can maybe get you some connections to the education space. That makes sense because I can understand wanting um, faster results definitely from the investor side because let's talk let's touch on that for a second because we were right before we hopped on stream we were talking about some of the abysmal stats i posted a post the other day to my page where less than 1.3 percent of all funds go to investors and founders founders of color and then less than 0.3 percent of those funds go to women of color mm-hmm. period yes, um and then thinking about that a lot of the ideas that we have are very, of course, across our industries, but we are usually in the more infantile stages of our business where mm-hmm. other companies might have more research and resources to fully flesh out their ideas. We might mm-hmm. be in that stage that you're talking about right now, like knowing that it may be a longer road to get to production or to have a usable mm-hmm. increment. So knowing that, how, how do you feel... How do you feel that both venture capitalists and black angels feel about that waiting period? Or does does that give you apprehension or are you more willing to wait knowing the sort of things we're up against, so to speak? Or Yeah, it's just all about making sure that you are approaching investors that understand the space that you're in. Like if you're talking to a venture capital firm that exclusively invests in education software, then this is something they've already agreed to. They already know these long sales cycles. So now they're actually just evaluating the product itself that you're trying to sell. Okay. Um, so I think that's basically the feedback is just, um, it's, it's more about people being aligned. I think it's, it's hard enough as a startup to raise money in general, as you mentioned, even more hard for certain demographics. So you don't want to also add on like educating someone about a whole market right? That, that's foreign to them, you know? So, and that's why people will just say up front, like, I don't invest in healthcare, right? I don't have, I'm not sophisticated enough to know, you know, people will be honest about that. And that's because they don't want to go through the process of like getting up to speed on something that's super complicated. Yes. Yes. 
Sure thing, Yusuf. He said, thanks for having Kanji on to share her experiences. So getting into the fun portion, how many companies would you say you've invested in? Because in some of the communities that I'm in, be it the, the Telegrams, the WhatsApps, the good Lord, yeah, uh, most of us try to like cross-reference our experiences with funding to say, hey, did you actually get funding? How far did you get with it? How many mm-hmm. companies do you know that actually received it? And it, of course, because we just talked about those stats, the, the numbers typically are low. Um, and social proof is sort of the currency of today. So just having that conversation, if that's, if that's something you're willing to share, how many companies have you invested in as a venture capitalist and how many have you invested in as an angel? I think I've done a lot less as an angel than I have as a scout and as you know the head of the accelerator. And that's just because I'm not a super rich person, right? I don't have the, the capital to, to do that. I wish I could do more. Um, but I think in general, like if you look at my my overall portfolio, it's, it's, it's pretty large. I think it's just based on, you know, finding deals that align to, you know, what I'm looking for and also seem like they could be a good investment. That makes sense. That makes sense. Of course, it's always better coming from a corporation side because you have right. far more resources at hand. And I even mm-hmm. think about that for myself, like being in like the throes of running my startup prior to me even getting into this space, I did a lot of investing and didn't even realize the terminology at mm-hmm. that time, but not pivoting to myself. And that's a passion that I want to get back into. Like the second that I'm like, okay, my baby's good. I've run across people with so many amazing ideas and I'm like, okay, let's start throwing money at people. Like yeah. that would be a beautiful thing. Um, as far as resources that you know offhand, what would be a piece of advice that you would tell founders looking to connect with angels that are more industry specific or even venture capitalists that are interested in what they do specifically? Because sometimes like a general LinkedIn search doesn't quite get you as far as you want to go. Yeah. Well, I think there's two things to think about. One is, of course, getting money is important, but it's not everything that someone could do to help you. So for the Accelerator SAP, we're actually, we, we don't invest, we don't take equity, and we don't have fees. So we focus on helping these startups get big customers like Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, et cetera, which in a, indirectly could be actually more lucrative because of the contracts and also at least set you up in a better way to get fundraising in the future. So the first thing would be be open-minded about the ways that you can receive help and don't, don't you shouldn't necessarily think that getting investment is is the only way to support you. Um, there's also this term um, that we use, which is called getting a strategic um, investor or strategic accelerator, where you're very clear about where you want to go and you need someone to help you get there. So in the case of SAP, for example, again, we're market leader in enterprise software. And so if you're an enterprise company that needs to set up a partnership in the future, SAP would be strategic in, in that sense, right? They're not giving you a bunch of money, They're not, but it's just like, you have a very strategic go-to-market path and SAP could get you there, right? There's other ones like Chibani is is uh, the yogurt. They have an accelerator for like um, food, right? And that's, uh, they, they have expertise and help you understand how to optimize your recipe and getting into places like Whole Foods and that kind of thing, where again, they do give some small investment, but that's not really the value. It's like, if they can introduce you to the person that does buying at Whole Foods, that's amazing. And it's worth the process of accelerator, right? So. 
in the end, the answer is think about some of the biggest challenges that you anticipate in terms of your long-term growth, and then who can be strategic that can come in, whether it's investment financially or investment otherwise, to help you get there faster. And that's good to know. Like, I wasn't even aware until I started doing as much research as I've been doing in the short term Mm -hmm. that there were so many industry-specific accelerators. And sometimes they might not even use that particular nomenclature. They might use a different terminology or they might just describe what they do. I think a lot of businesses are sort of, um, I wouldn't say new to this space, but I guess they're, I wouldn't say being intentfully vague because then it would be like an onslaught of people applying, but it, you do have to do digging to find these sort of resources sometimes. Like you, most of the accelerators I found out or even incubators have been word of mouth. For me. Yeah, no, that's true. I think so. There's different ones. There's accelerators that are like VCs where it's sort of like you said, you just you only know about them if you know about them. They're not marketing. They're not, you know, But on the strategic side. Now it's very trendy in the last five years for corporates to want to use startups as a way to figure out how to innovate. And so you can just Google brand like you're in, you're in um, CPG, Google Unilever. I believe they have something. If you're in healthcare, Johnson & Johnson, right? So just think about the brands that you are most impressed by in a particular industry and Google to see if they have an accelerator. And if they don't, probably their peer does, either accelerator or a corporate venture or something. And I think that's a really good start just in the context of having a strategic arm. The other ones, like you said, there's so many, there's thousands and thousands of accelerators, not all of them are good, um, but at least with the corporate side, it can help you with the industry context. When you say not all of them are good, could you give me or not? I know you don't mean in like a a negative way, but what what in your mind separates a good accelerator from a not so beneficial accelerator? Well, there are a number of them that are pretty predatory in terms of how much equity that they ask for compared to their Hmm. investment. I just talked to someone actually who I met at Black Tech Week who was talking about accelerator that she's in. And to join it, you have to give up 50 five zero percent of your company, which is crazy, right? And that's the reason nice. yeah, and the reason why it's predatory is because especially for black and brown folks is we already have such a hard time getting into the networks and things that we really do need these types of accelerators. And so it's sort of like taking advantage of the fact that we need it, right? And so understanding, you know, it's fine if some take equity because you need investment, but what is your appetite for how much you want to give up, especially this early on? If you're going to have a number of funding raises, you know that you can't start off giving 50% because at the end, you're going to have 5% or less, right? And so one is understanding equity and, and investment. Second is, what are they actually offering you? I, I think the concept of mentorship is played out, right? Everybody needs a mentor for sure. But can you really have an accelerator that's focused 100% on mentorship? I'm not sure if that's an effective use of time, right? So uh, think about what it is, again, what it is that you're looking for, and does the accelerator actually meet that need? And not, everybody needs to use, not everybody needs to have an accelerator, by the way. <laughs> that's funny. But I, I agree. Um, one accelerator I will recommend, if you live in Northeast Florida, it's something that you have to do in person, but I would search for the Jack's Chamber. Um, their accelerator program is Jack's Bridges. It is something that you have to do in person. Um, the promise of this accelerator is that by the end, 
you will be able to compete at a pitch day um, for like liquid capital investment. And in addition to that, um, some terms I was learning last night is literally there is a vendor development pool, which companies, there's a there's some nomenclature that companies use when talking to each other um, that founders need to know to ask the company when they're offering them services to shave down on time. So a vendor development pool, if you can get into that database, mm-hmm. literally that accelerator can have you in their Rolodex to say, okay, we know that this is what you do. Let's connect you to resources, sort of like what you were saying earlier. Right. Um, but that, and that's how you become competitive. So I definitely, as I go through this accelerator, I definitely want to cover more content on that mm-hmm. because I have zero business background. So I'm literally learning on the fly, but <laughs> I do want to share these things with people as I go through this, because I know there's a lot of people who don't know. I know I didn't know even two months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why this conversation with you is so necessary because a lot of people do have to manage their expectations, you know? Yes. Um, and you brought up a good point because, again, making sure you, you understand what you need. So you're saying that you need to develop your business acumen, which is fundamental, like finance. right. So there's some accelerators that focus on, like, start from the beginning. Let's build you your business toolbox, right? There's some that assume you have those things already. They're focusing more on, like, how do you get customers there's some that are focusing on setting up for fundraising. So they're not equal in terms of what you get out of it. So you just it's important not to just think, I need to be an accelerator. You should, again, understand what it is that you need and make sure the accelerator fits that. That part. That part. And the commitment, if it's either virtual yes. and online or if it's in person. Mm-hmm. And if you're allowed to miss any days, like with this particular one, you can't really miss any attendance because nothing's recorded. And everything's in person. That's how they keep their information proprietary yeah. inside. Um, but I'm I'm excited to go through this. And as I'm going through this and as I'm attending pitch competitions, I think mm-hmm. I've signed, signed up as an attendee to about 10 of them. The most yeah. recent one that I went to was Fearless Fund in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Literally, that's a fund created by Black women for the mm-hmm. Black community. I watched 11 women pitch. And three of them split a pool of a million dollars for like liquid equity. Like, like here's money for your company. Amazing. Amazing. So those sort of things, these sorts of conversations are absolutely necessary because we don't know at large in the, in the community where to go for these resources. Um, A few of my friends who um, are in the process of trying to put funds together are talking about some of the the hurdles they're going through while trying to do that because mm-hmm. anytime you're talking about putting money into something there's red tape as well yeah, of course so yes. what have you experienced any red tape with that like you got ready to invest into a company but there something wasn't quite right um i haven't personally but I know it can, it definitely can happen um, more so. I mean, I've just seen founders that have gotten, gotten screwed by like their first term sheet. Um, again, too much equity or some of the terms or they, they require a seat on the board, but they don't have any strategic reason to do so. Things like that. That makes sense. That makes sense. So staying hyper vigilant, even with a, like a low level of knowledge is necessary. <laughs> is necessary 
Um, yes. what, what is a piece of advice that you would give as we come to a close? Like what, if you're a founder and if, if there's a founder who's hungry, they're ready to get started and say they don't have any network, they don't have any resources, but they want to get their passion project out there. They're looking for somebody to cut a check. They're looking for help with their business. What would you tell that individual? Ooh, um, <laughs> it's a big question. It's a big question. I would say take things one step at a time. Just do the first thing, finish that, do the second thing and, and, and take it slow. So one is people underestimate the value of telling a story. Um, it's like when you listen to a song. When I'm getting pitched to, when someone is pitching to me, I want to understand who are you as a person? Why did you want to start this company? Um, what is your vision? And I think when you really make sure that people understand what you're trying to say, then I think everything else after that is easier. So don't rush to say, I need to get money into this, like be steadfast in understanding the story. And then if you are a person that has particular domain expertise in the company that you're building, which isn't not a requirement, but if you do make sure to weave that in, like I was a nurse for the last 20 years and this is the problem I saw. And so I'm starting this company to help to ameliorate that problem. Immediately I'm leading in like, okay, she sounds like an expert because she has the experience, right? That's super, super important. People want to connect. Um, and especially when you're, you're pitching to people of other races that maybe ordinarily don't have any relationships with people, you got to get them with the heartstrings because otherwise you seem very unrelatable and someone that you don't want to work with. That. I think that is a key. Um, I, I think that that you just said is where I picked up going to different pitch competitions because people tell their stories yes. so well, get yes. you emotionally invested. Yes. Um, yes. One of my friends, Janine, when I was like beginning to tell her about my idea, she's like, have you made a slide deck before? And I'm like, no, I haven't. So a slide deck is a very intentful PowerPoint conversation yes. of yes. your ideas that you keep on hand, whether you need to be able to shoot it out via link or whether you need to present it to someone like mm -hmm. curating that you can Google how to create a slide deck online, be it a sponsorship mm -hmm. deck, be it a, a startup deck, be it what, whatever you're specifically trying to go do, you can make a deck for that and then begin to have these very intentful conversations. So shout out to Janine. Thank you so much for that. Mm -hmm. um, I really want to thank you for being here today, Kanji. Um, I know that this sort of conversation does give people some semblance of hope because I know funding and actually seeing that there's people who look like us are actually willing to invest in us is necessary. It's mm -hmm. very necessary. Um, if people want to reach out to you for advice, is that something they can do via LinkedIn? Yeah, absolutely. I'm more than happy to um, connect with anyone that, that needs it. Um, let's, let's make the world better. That's so awesome. So definitely reach out to Kanji on LinkedIn. Her socials are linked on the LinkedIn interview. If you're watching on YouTube, I'll drop a link as well. Um, I'm looking forward to see who you invest in in the future. I'm willing to watch you grow and I'm honored to know you and to be able to call you a friend. So thank you so thank much. for you. Thank you so much. It was, it was so much fun. Take care, everybody. Take Bye. care.